Hi, everybody. Uh, if you've, uh, okay. You farted. You farted. I, I farted. It's fine. Good evening, and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Craig Moorhead, but I'm not your only host. Your other host, uh, for, former former uh, uh, um, uh, Scandinavian model slash super spy. Sean, I resent the former Harwell. Oh, oh, well, I didn't mean that as an insult. Well, it came across that way. I apologize. Oh, no problem. Thanks. How are you doing, Craig? I'm all right, Sean. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be here talking about movies once again from 1985. Uh, so if you're just joining us and don't know what's going on, uh, I'd be surprised. Uh, but if, if you're in that category, go over to NeverHeardPodcast.com. It'll take you everywhere you want to go on the social media tip, and you can also find all of our back episodes and reviews and all kinds of fun stuff and yeah come join the party here because we're what are we part six here into this thing or is this part that five? is this is gonna be parts no yeah. this is part six you're right yes it's part yeah six. okay so part six i was right what do you know and uh, i think yeah it, it was high time for us to talk about some teen sex comedies because as i think you mentioned in the last episode uh that made up about 84% of all movies in 1985 that trope. So yeah, we're just we're just going to talk about two of them today. You know where 90% of people can find us is online, Sean. You can find oh, wow. us at Twitter, you can find us uh, uh at never podcast. Is that right? You can find us uh never <laughs> neverpodcast.com, neverheardpodcast.com. I don't know. Just look for us, look for the podcast. It's me and Sean. We're talking about 1985. Simple. No big whoop. So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? Craig, we've got weird science and private resort on tap today. What do you say we start with weird science? Let's jump on it. Uh, how about I read the synopsis for us real quick? Because if you don't know weird science, again, I'd be surprised. But uh, here's what you need to know. Two high school nerds attempt to create the perfect woman, but she turns out to be more than that. Uh, that is very, very short as far as the movie, but yeah, it's they do attempt to create the perfect woman literally using a Commodore 64. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That wasn't a Commodore 64. I don't know what kind of computer it was. It was a computer that used a gigantic floppy disk. If you're not old enough to know what one of those are, Beautiful. look them up. Uh, and you definitely got a phone-based Modem, mm-hmm. um, which again is rare, and just in this in the sense that nobody's even going to know what that half that used to be a telephone right. uh, is now, unless and, you saw war games, in which case you know what yeah. kind of mayhem can happen oh, if you have one of those. Definitely, yeah. and uh, yeah, that's you plug that in, and you can make a, a woman according to this movie. Uh, I, I wanted to just ask right off the bat, Craig, because we yeah. have talked briefly about this movie when we were talking uh, Anthony Michael Hall in a, in a different episode. And I seem to recall you saying that this was never quite your cup of Anthony Michael Hall, John Hughes tea. Yeah, that's I, true. Okay. Now, that's well, true. we might as well start there then. Okay. What was, it, uh, what was it like watching this again? Did that opinion change at all or just was it reaffirmed? It was reaffirmed. <laughs> um, and why? You know, it's weird. I, it's weird. 
Of course it's weird. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, no, It's also science, but go ahead. It's also, and yeah, there's <laughs> a science aspect to it as well. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I remember watching this when I was younger. You know, having seen, for whatever reason, having seen 16 Candles and Breakfast Club before I saw this. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I, well, I guess I say that because I feel like I would have seen this first because both of those are rated R. Somehow I got to both of those before I got to this, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, in both of those, like, uh, it, well, in both of those, Anthony Michael Hall plays like a real nerd. Yes. Uh, or geek or whatever terminology you want to use for it. Dweeb. But he's super dweeb. Dweeb is good. Mm-hmm. Super, uh, you know, socially awkward, little skinny guy. Uh, nothing about him is really cool. He always has a pretty forceful personality. Well, not in Breakfast yes. Club so much. Sixteen Candles, he has a, like amongst his peers, he has a forceful personality. Like if anything's going to happen, it's going to be because of him. Yeah. And I feel like a little bit of that is in this movie. But then, uh, and then Breakfast Club, not so much. And I just remember watching this one. And, you know, the first scene sets the both of them up pretty well as outcasts, dweebs, geeks, dorks, whatever you want to call them. Nerds. Wyatt was clearly, no. Yeah, Wyatt was clearly um, the nerdier of the two. Mm-hmm. But but in that first scene, like Gary is, they seem very much on the same end of the spectrum. Like they're both there and they're gym stuff. You know, Gary is just super skinny and awkward. They're talking about girls that are, you know, just way beyond their reach and in every possible dimension as far as they're concerned. They get pantsed at the end of it. Total nerds. And then I always feel like there's this thing that kind of switches back and forth over the course of the movie where... And I think it's kind of because Anthony Michael Hall is great at riffing. Mm-hmm. Like he could riff on stuff so easily. And, and a, ton, a lot of times, like some really funny stuff comes out. But I kind of felt like th- in this movie, it felt like this was the movie where Hughes was kind of like, hey, man, just take it and run. Every scene, just run, and we'll just see how far you can run with it. Uh, and maybe did. And maybe a lot of that stuff ended up. But it, it just felt like he riffs too easily to have no rap with, with girls. Like... It just, it, it never made sense to me. Like, I just felt like he, he's coming off way too cool in a way. Um, he seems but, to have almost no self-confidence problems. He has no, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. There was always that part of me that was just like, I don't know. He seems too cool. And then, then there'll be a scene like when he goes to his parents and they're talking about like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lisa's going to take him to a party. Like that feels like, okay, Gary, now, now you're, now you're the underdog. Like now suddenly you can't handle this situation, but I'm kind of like, why can't you handle this situation? Like, this seems like the kind of situation you would handle very easily because you just have such an easy rap. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, that's one of the things that always kind of bothered me about it um, is, is that kind of thing never matched up. And I feel like there are other things in the movie that are kind of like that too. And you kind of just, you have to take it as like a lot of, I don't know, fun vignettes. And then it's like a fun movie to watch. But go ahead. What about you? I can't what even, you? like, yeah, I'm trying to, like, catalog in all the ways in which you're wrong on this. Oh, uh, wow. It's getting okay. lengthy. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, that's a really interesting interpretation because I've never even thought of, of sort of what you're talking about as far as the mismatch of his personality versus his social status, yeah. uh, talking about Anthony Michael Hall's character. 
And clearly, yes, I'd say uh, Alon Mitchell-Smith, uh, Wyatt is the nerdier of the two, intentionally so, and comes across yeah. that way in his performance. But I still, you know, to me, I think this, and I'd have to go and look at them all again, it feels like the most overtly broad movie yeah. that John Hughes directed. Maybe not yeah. wrote, but directed for sure, right? Yeah. And the thing is, it just makes me laugh. I mean, that's it. Like, this, to me, is is total comfort food. I mm-hmm. did kind of wonder if today, I watched it this morning, maybe this will be the time where, you know, I was just like, I got to get this in. I've mm-hmm. seen this a dozen million times. Dozen million. Dozen million. Dozen million. Um, do I really need to sit down and watch this thing again? I was expecting maybe this would be the time where some of my veneer of love might start to crack. Mm-hmm. And yet it it made me laugh from the word go. And that's a hard thing to like kind of uh, qualify, mm-hmm. you know? It's like if it either makes you laugh or it doesn't. Sure. Uh, maybe that's why people, you know, there's some people who like Adam Sandler movies. There's some people that don't. But there's a lot of people in both camps, it seems like. Um, and trying to debate that. Maybe has no merits. Uh, but I will say, even in the context of the 80s and the people that John Hughes surrounds Gary with, you still find him kind of cool because I'm, I'm with you. I feel like, and I do think maybe 16 Candles is better at like, okay, he's a loser in that movie. But here's the click of losers, right? There's like four right. of them. There's John Cusack. And he's kind of like the alpha male of that clique. Here, you don't have that. It's just the two of them, right? Right. And you're right. There's really very little else in the movie that could point you to someone even like that. I mean, even with all the extras they have, even just outside of that party scene at school, Mm -hmm. in the mall, you don't really see other dweebs, right? Right, right. Maybe those two girls that are in the bathroom after they have their little powwow in the shower and they look out expecting to find Deb and Hilly, and then there's the two large girls. Yeah. They're very broadly painted right. as losers. That's well, about it. Yeah, well, you know, there's actually a deleted scene where a bunch of guys show up, and actually they're, they're in the rest of the movie, but just not dressed this way, but they show up to the party at the end dressed up as Devo. Like they arrive oh, on these motor scooters, fantastic. they have the helmets on, and they come in and they're just straight, just... Love dorks. it. Love it. And and that's one of those things where it's just like, man, but like Anthony Michael Hall to me, and really again, it's just because I feel like he's so quick, he's so clever. Yes, you right. can just like he's so good. It just seems like bizarre that for some reason in the world of this movie he is ostracized. It but seems see. seems it seems weird. And really, and really. Uh and again, I like the movie. Like I was saying uh, uh, on, online there uh, a little while ago, uh, Gene Siskel, I think, is right about his review. The only thing I don't agree with him about is that he doesn't like the movie. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think I, he's I right, <laughs> but I still like it. But it's like, but it's like, even at the end, they end up with these girls. But it's kind of like, why? Like, what? Mm-hmm. Whatever happened that made them like these two guys? Like, I, it, well. I, I, I like say, the guys, yeah. but it's like, I don't understand like none of that. And it doesn't have to, I mean, the rest of the movie is not like some, a deep exploration of teenager angst. It's, it, but it's just no, like, not at all. 
but there's I don't feel like there's ever any real thing that happens. No, and I, I think yeah, if if there was a flaw that stood out to me watching it again this time, it's kind of exactly what you're talking about. I was surprised by how quickly the plot moved watching it this time, and that you, the sort of the shit hitting the fan at that party where all these guys kind of come in, basically the road warrior characters, right? The bad guys, mm-hmm. Vernon Wells, we talked about. And take over this party, more or less, so that Gary and Wyatt have to stand up for themselves and become heroes. There's still a good twenty plus minutes left, kind of when that scene kicks off, and and that that kind of surprised me. I was like, I always kind of think of that as like the climactic moment. It's really, I mean, it is and it isn't in some ways because there's still the resolution with yeah the girls and Chet and lisa and putting you know the genie back in the bottle sort of um but again it's it's such a likable experience for me that it's hard to like look at this as a failure you know on its own in comparison to like yeah what i think john hughes proved that i mean and it's it's so interesting to watch this and exactly what you're talking about with like the girls like, look at the female characters in the other teen movies that he made. Yeah. Like, they're, there's so many layers, and they're amazing. And, boy, they're not here. I mean, it's it's really, they're, they're pretty thin in that yeah. regard. And it is a bit awkward watching Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Russler sit down <laughs> with Gary and Wyatt and go, all right, here's the deal. We'll give you Devin. <laughs> you let oh, us yeah. have Lisa. I mean, it's, it's like. To go back to the Siskel and Ebert review, you know, there's a lot of misogyny in this movie, but I did love Ebert's rebuttal that a lot of teenage boys are misogynistic. I mean, I think that's very, very true. Yeah. I don't know if that excuses it, but yeah. Well, that's the thing. I I feel like it definitely excuses at the beginning. I think you don't Mm -hmm. get into this movie unless you accept the fact that like two 14 year old dudes are probably going to be pretty much basically misogynistic. Yes, with uh, a 23-year-old woman, by the way. Right. There's a very statutory vibe to this movie. It's like a reverse Lolita in a weird way. Um, yeah, yeah. That is, it is, yeah, it's interesting to watch in the context of our current climate, I guess. And uh, I still laughed. I'm, I'm not trying to, like, I'm not, <laughs> not trying to walk away from that. It still makes me laugh. I mean, hey, somehow, somehow Private Resort comes off even worse, but... yeah. But yeah, I, I, I seem to have remembered something that doesn't actually happen in Weird Science, which was that there was sort of a lesson at the end of that scene of, uh, well, we'll give you these girls if you give us your girl. And then those guys are, well, no, but we'll just make you another girl. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, and it's like, yeah, women are just completely dehumanized in every possible way. And then uh-huh. I always thought that for some reason, I thought that Kelly LeBrock came in at the end and she was like, angry with them about it but well, then she's really not like no, she's just it's like sort oh of, you forgot to do something yeah it's like you flew a little too close to the sun you know right they had to go and mess things up you got yeah. cocky and, and that's i feel like that's sort of that's a kind tame, of a shame i wonder a timid lesson yes basically. well i i just wonder if, if anything was like lost in the cutting of of it just it just seems like it's it's so ripe for just like well, you know, the the problem you're really having is relating to other human beings. So 
here, relate to some other actual human beings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you're fine people. You, you two boys are fine. Like, but you just, you don't put yourself out there. You stay way back here and you talk about how those people are so much prettier than you. Yeah. Like, don't do that. Go be with them. Go talk to them, you know? And it seems like, it seems like a lot of the movie kind of sets that moment up, but it doesn't really come in a weird way. Um, no, so, I mean, I think it's still sort of filtered through the prism of having fun first. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it comes through the ridiculous moment of them standing up and pointing a gun at uh, at Vernon Wells, you know. Right. And, and that kind of thing, which is just, again, it's just like part of the party, you know. It's, it is. It's just one more scene in the party as opposed to anything sort of deep. And even then, like the fact that the girls kind of hang around after that. Yeah, it's yeah. messy. I do like the sort of resolution of it. It's just like, okay, well, they kiss, they send them on their way, and you get the sense that, okay, they're going to go out again. And maybe they've sort of crossed the bridge of being less awkward and having a little bit of self-confidence. Yeah. And I'll say... Just because you're good at spouting off at the mouth doesn't mean you can't lack self-confidence, Craig. Yes. Like Gary. Haven't you but known I, like a real smart-ass kid who's like just, you don't like him because of how much he talks and because of how much of a smart-ass he is, especially at that I, age? I've definitely known smart-ass kids who spout off of the mouth and are not <laughs> self-confident, but I would counter with this. They're not as generally funny. the stuff they spout off about is not very clever and it okay. ain't very funny. Okay, so well, let me ask you this then: Is yeah. it are you capable of laughing? I mean, do you find his performance funny? A lot of it, I do. Okay, yeah, like I, but that's the thing: I love the riffing. Like I love makes, it. Yes, and I think he's so he's so good with that stuff. He's so good that I think sometimes it goes overboard. I don't like the sure. bar scene. I do I was, not like the bar scene. <laughs> I love the bar scene. I feel like scene. people love it and I can't, I've never yeah. been able to take it. And not even for like, probably like the racist grounds that I should take it from. But I don't, like it's not, it's never been funny to me. It, it always seemed yeah. like he was doing like an Eddie Murphy character or something. Like it just I, didn't I can feel see that. right. I can see that. Um, but I, I, will, I always thought that that was a setup for him sort of getting out of his shell a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's not really. But then he kind of comes off cool. He's drunk and he's cool. And then he wakes up. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah. he's, he seems so relaxed with everybody. And he, you know, he mouths off at Bill Paxson, who's fantastic. So good. I should start God. talking about the things I like about the movie. Because I really like the whole premise. No, I think this is good. We'll love. get, yeah, we'll okay. get to that stuff. Because yeah. I do think you're right. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, if you're of a certain age, you're probably going to find a lot of this humorous. And I think a lot of the comedy holds up. So it's good that we're talking about maybe the stuff that, you know, it did not compete with Breakfast Club at the box office, so clearly you're not, like, alone in your thinking, and I don't think it's mm. generally held as high of a regard. I'm looking at it right now. It's got a overall 6.6 out of 10-star rating on IMDb. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think um, maybe, you know, in the context of great classic 80 movies, you know, maybe this isn't in the top 30 perhaps, yeah. for a lot of people. I don't know. For me, it's, again, it's just, I, it was a seminal movie. I, I definitely watch it with rose-colored, nostalgic glasses, oh, me too. I think. That song, man. The song, it, it kills you. Yeah. I think one of the things I did notice 
that was kind of interesting was just a little on the structure stuff was what you're talking about here. It hits the ground running and establishes everything that you're going to really get to know about these guys in that gym class scene, right? And it mm-hmm. does it the way the whole movie does through the voice and the mouth box of Anthony Michael Hall. You know, he's talking about, I even wrote down, it's like, you know, he, he's going to meet these girls, they're going to bring them back, they're going to shower, hit the city, drinks, nightlife, huge party, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, holy shit, that's everything that happens in this movie like right there in the opening minute of it. And then, you know, excuse me, you get Wyatt's line. It's like, nobody likes this. He says, don't ruin the fantasy. Um, And that's it. I mean, that is your premise right there, kind of. That's telling you what's going to happen. But like you, I did sort of find myself being surprised somewhat that that bar scene is really the first thing they do with Lisa, you know? I mean, they, they shower, of course, and that's hilarious. Yes. Because they're wearing their jeans. But that's where they go. And like in my head, I think even I sort of remember it as like, okay, that's like, did they go to Gary's parents first and then the bar and then there was something else before they come home and then chat? And it's like, nope, they go to the bar. And I I was even thinking about too, just the writing of that. That's a long scene. Yeah. And it's broken up by a time jump. But that would be, Mm -hmm. you know, especially for that early in the movie. Like to, ha- I would be intimidated by having that on the page in front of me. Like, oh god, you've got six sure. pages of bar scene in the first fifteen minutes of this movie. Although Even- I would argue, it's probably not six pages of bar scene. It was pitch. probably two, and then he riffed for... Yeah, <laughs> like that riff yeah. might not even been a part of the movie until they were like, ah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Because, I mean, there, there are definitely there are funny bits of it. There are definitely funny bits of it. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to completely put it down. No. But it's it's always bugged me. But but that's another thing that kind of bugged me, too. And again, I, I'm just enjoying the premise. I love the fact that they create her, and they're in the shower, and they're, they're sort of like, what do we do? And like all that stuff is golden. Yeah. And then, and then the next thing she's like, well, give me a name. I only said, okay, so what are we going to do? Well, I want to go party. And it's just like, and that's fine because kind of just like when they create her, like there's almost nothing that really leads up to that. <laughs> nope. Yeah. And that's well, they watch Frankenstein. so yeah. awesome. Right, right, right. Yeah. They watch Frankenstein and then suddenly they have like, <laughs> like you can't get too logical with it anyway. But it's like, well, and I have, I, I'm going to create all this software right now where we can just create these, like, I don't know. Such good software, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, really high-end stuff. Yeah. And, and, like, some of it's just, like, goofing off and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but then they create, like, a woman. And, and, and it's like they don't spend too much time on that. Like, they don't, have, like, I feel like if it was a movie made now, you'd have to have some more rational conversation uh, like reason for there to be an actual woman who results from this yeah i really uh, think uh with both of these movies and just in general like from what we've been watching so far what a great experience just looking at like a yeah economy of setup and just getting to the fun and games part of your <laughs> second act because that's really all this movie is. I mean, the, I mean, the movie, no. Yeah, let's, let's be honest. The movie yeah. is fun and games. Yes, totally. Like, it's wish fulfillment from start to finish. Yeah. There's really, I mean, like you, you look at the mutants bit. Mm-hmm. You look at them hooking up with the girls at the end. 
there's almost nothing that connects any of that. Like it's yeah. just it's just like here we go, and and like here are a bunch of vignettes that are funny, and and then we'll throw in some of this stuff. They show down these mutants who have never appeared anywhere before. Nope. And it doesn't mean really mean anything that they show them down because they're not really real, but it's fine. Like that's fine, and right. it's just craziness from beginning to end. Um, and see, that's that that is what I like about it. Um, well, and actually thinking about it. Maybe, you know what, maybe I can wrap my head around the fact that he, John Hughes, turned this sucker out, at least the first draft, in about two days. Because there is something about it that that feels episodic in a way that your brain might work if you were just writing that quickly. Sure. The biggest difference, I mean, obviously, like we talked about, yeah, I don't think there's any way that they go into production with a script that was just written in two pages and that was it. But yeah. He's he's got such good comedic chops, and he's so good with with all of these young actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially, and we can get to this, but like just all the stupid little details that they that he does with Downey Jr. and Robert Russler. I mean, oh, it's ridiculous, yeah. and like the grandparents and all these things that just are would be cliche or bad or. Uh, just less, just not funny and not fun in somebody else's hands. I mean, he 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 just did it. I mean, he just yeah. destroyed that stuff. Uh, just I, you yeah. know, second nature to him. Um, let's see here. I was trying to think if there's anything else, like I don't know, structure or bigger picture, or anything. Oh, actually, yeah, okay. I got one thing. Let's talk about the the very very end here for a second. Okay. <laughs> as as we are want to do when we jump around with these things, but you know maybe like Fright Night, we've got a reappearance of a character who we thought was disappeared, and one that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. You know, Kelly LeBrock no. says it's time for her to go, and uh, after you know Gary and Wyatt have found girls and and self confidence, and they maybe don't need her tutelage, uh, she disappears in a cloud of smoke in their room, much like the way mm-hmm. she entered. And then she shows up as the PE teacher at their high school. Right. Does that make any kind of sense to you? It doesn't. And I think that what's why I don't begrudge it that ending in any way is none of her existence was ever logical in any (laughs) way. There were no rules. It made no sense. But if she was really leaving them. Right. She can't show up at their high school again. I mean, right. Well, but why is she leaving them? Why does she know she has to leave them? She because was made they've from a learned computer the and came they out don't... of red smoke. Because <laughs> they don't need that computer girl anymore. I don't know. I, to me, it cheapens yeah. it. A little, even if she were a PE teacher at some other school or something, right? Uh, that would make slightly more sense to me. Though I, I don't know. It just felt like one of these things that you got to have in the movies so you can have the nice freeze frame moment. You just have that last jolt. Yeah. That last little you had, jolt. You had to end with her. Yeah, uh, yeah, but speaking of freeze frame, maybe this is a good time actually. Uh, you know, in addition to just the teen sex kind of comedy of it all, genre wise, right? I, I mean, there's there's so many good and just prominent '80s tropes and little details in this movie. I think yes. in general, including the freeze frame ending, including our sort of extended sequence where we're watching the classic Frankenstein movie with them as they're watching that and that having impact on the plot Mm -hmm. not unlike we saw in fright night right oh yeah i love that stuff and i i forgot like 
that scene is maybe like one of the only ones <laughs> in the whole movie, but definitely in like that first act where they stop talking for a damn minute, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just sitting there and watching this, and you're kind of seeing the wheels turn. And like the way that Michael Hawthorne kind of gets into that is sort of interesting because it is kind of like a serious moment where, you know, obviously it's it's just him spouting out the concept of this movie and the what if of it all. We've got a calculator watch. Oh yeah. Worn by by Wyatt there. I feel like the grandparents are a little bit of an 80s trope. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I, I that sort of like upper class over pronunciation of a straight and narrow square, you know? I mean, they're mm-hmm. definitely like the epitome of that. I also was curious and trying to remember is this is this the I guess it's not the first Hughes movie where he breaks the fourth wall, is it? No. Did they do it? In- it, 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 it there was a lot in in 16 Candles. Oh, that's right. Okay. And that came out before yeah. this, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, cuz there's there's only a few moments in this movie, but I think I think I know Gary got it. I, Gary and I believe Lisa did as well at certain mm-hmm. moments. Um, we have a Dirty Harry reference, the "Go Ahead, Make My Day," yeah, kind of thing with the parents, <laughs> which was great. And let's see, I think that was it, really. I mean, obviously, the whole movie is like an eighties trope, but like the, like the like the 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 completely out of control party. But that's not yeah. that's a little vague, I guess. Well, what about uh, they use the Rocky music or a version of the Rocky music? Sure. Um, they use uh, "Thus Spake Zarathustra," the two thousand one Space Odyssey theme. Oh, version of that. A version the, of it, yeah. Yeah, in the Which opening. Was kind of weird. I was I was wondering about that actually. I know. I was like, why couldn't they just? I thought that was public domain, yeah, um, at this point. Maybe not, but um, yeah, uh, that was kind of interesting. Well, maybe let's shift then and just heap some praise on this movie about stuff that really just still kind of works really well for for both of us. I got to start with just the sheer power of Kelly LeBrock's entrance onto screen. I mean, it's amazing. Like, it really, to me, like, that is... Like, it's just an iconic image. I mean, that's the Im- know, image of yeah. this movie. And, like, it's so great. The look, everything. Uh, and then just that line is great, too, about the little maniacs. I mean, like, mm-hmm. that, such a fun thing to call them. And you you kind of already know, like, exactly what he's going to, what they want to do um, yeah. because of that opening scene. And, and it hasn't been long since we've seen that. But um, love it. I, I You just, uh, you know, just kind of, like stare at it in awe and it's one of those things that at a certain point i know it's going to feel dated it's got to uh but it did it didn't to me this time not yet it's interesting i think you're right it 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 didn't for me either and and it is one of those shots that i just yeah like just burned in my brain that whole that whole sequence (laughs) yeah and this was like prime like amazing stories twilight zone time for me as well Mm mm-hmm and so, like, anything that had a premise like this, I was so on board for. Like, anything right. where it's, like, normal kids and then, you know, supernatural stuff starts to happen. Great. So, yeah, 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 totally. Um, I think you're right. I think I think it is iconic. Yeah. It is one of those, one of those moments that just works that well. Uh, let me ask you this, though. Mm. If you were creating a woman, Craig... 
Would you give her anything in common with David Lee Roth? <laughs> would I feed a picture of David Lee Roth in? <laughs> yeah. Would you put that that's in the scanner? A good, that's a really good question. I don't <laughs> think that would occur to me. I don't think it would have occurred to me then. You know, yeah. I mean, that was one of those things that I feel like somebody could have pulled him inside and said, you sure you want to do this? This might feel, you know, yeah. just think ahead like yeah. 15 years. Is this going to seem dated a little bit? No, no, no. It's cool. <laughs> David Lee Roth is awesome, man. He's like the coolest. Yeah. Like, he's a party guy. He's fun, you know. But man, they're lucky, really. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, there's a number of people you could feed into that machine that now, if you were watching it, you'd Oof, be like, oh, yeah. not that guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm glad they didn't put Bill Cosby in that machine, you uh, know? Bill Cosby. Although that would have been a weird choice <laughs> overall. So That's like maybe sense of humor at the time. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that exactly. Like, that that could have really backfired. So, at least it's, you know, it kind of feels like, oh, somebody who's wild. Yeah. It was um, kind of funny, actually, watching that sequence again, too, just... All the like little dumb supernatural touches that happen during, yeah, yeah, you know, because I forgot that it it goes beyond their house. I mean, there's a dog on mm-hmm. the ceiling in some other random lady's house, yeah, and there's the town sign goes up in flames. It's just all these like yeah. little non sequitur cutaways. So bizarre, <laughs> but even yeah. but even just inside the house, like the kitchen turning blue, and yeah, like yeah, all that stuff is pretty fun, yeah. I like that. Well, uh, let's talk about Bill Paxton then for sure, because I think he's yes. the other, uh, you know, powerhouse performance in this thing. I mean, and in some ways, you know, if you want to sit down and tell me that he steals the entire movie, if you're that person, I would, would have a hard time arguing with you, you know. Yeah. Um, well, he's definitely got, for my money, he's got the funniest bit in the movie. Which is? Um I mean, he's not necessarily on screen for it, but it's when he goes in <laughs> and he's holding Anthony Michael Hall and the girl at like yeah. uh, w- with his shotgun. Yes. He's got a shotgun on the both of them, which is already funny enough. Yeah. And he's already sort of uh, the other funny part is like he keeps hitting Anthony Michael Hall on the top okay. of the head with the shotgun. Mm-hmm. But but the moment that has never failed to make me laugh since the first time I saw it is there's a moment where he kind of like he's like he gets whatever information he needs. and He's kind of like, all right. And he kind of aims it at her and then aims it slowly at Anthony Michael Hall and then hits them both on the head. And that kills me every time. The timing of that destroys me. And like, because they're both like, ah, and it looks like it hurts really bad. And it just, it makes me laugh so hard. But yeah, I I mean, I mean, he's, he is, he is absolutely a force. Even when he's not necessarily super funny, man, he is, uh, he's good. He's a standout. Well, I was going to say, even in that same scene, just him putting the shotgun, pushing it against the girl's nose to the point that it's like bending. Yeah. Like, that's her, Chet, 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 Chet. Dude, that's her you, nose, Chet. You would get arrested for that. I mean, that's yeah. like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. that is definitely, you know, assault. And uh, what's so funny in this, uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> you know, it was a, I just marvel at the dude's haircut. Like that haircut is something yeah, else. Amazing. It's really like it goes at an angle and then there's like yeah. a little i noticed like it does kind of like come up on the sides a little bit and they push it up a little bit but all that stuff like i don't understand i would love to know where him almost mimicking having a hairball like a cat having a hairball and that scene where he's you know he's clearly just kind of riffing uh yeah. and, and ribbing anthony michael hall trying to make him puke Right. But like, what is that? Like, who thought of that? Because it's so gross and yet so funny. And just, uh, it, you know, it, like if he had said nothing else in the movie, I would remember that moment for sure. Because yeah. it's so, 
it just makes me gag and it's so gross and funny. Um, what do you, where do you stand on the decision to turn him or any character for that matter into a living piece of doo doo? Um, Does that fine. cross the line? Well, here, here's the first thing I got to tell you. And this is where I feel like a real moron. Uh oh. For a long time, and even now, I don't really accept the fact that he is a big pile of poop. What like, do you mean? You just well, I, willfully choose not to believe that? What do you think? You, I don't want to. Like no, no, no. Kind of I, I don't want to get graphic with our <laughs> listeners. Let's do it. But let's go look in our bowls. And you tell me, is that what your poop looks like? Like, does it have boils that are popping and shit like that? No. I, I just, yeah. I, I never thought of it. I, I mean, I, I always thought of it as being like, he's like a big mutant, disgusting toad. Yeah. I know. Cause no one, no one ever comes in there like, oh man. Oh, or maybe they do. I don't remember like, mm-hmm. the, like the smell of him or anything, but I just, I never thought of it as him being a big uh, pile of poop. Well, it's funny you mentioned that too, because I noticed and actually got a little chuckle out of the fact that. At one point in the movie, when uh, Max and Ian, Robert Downey, and and uh, was it Robert Russler? Is that the guy's name? I forgot. Already. I already said it like eighteen oh, times. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Robert Russler are talking to Lisa. Robert Downey Jr. At one point, you know, he's like, he calls Gary and Wyatt toads, and I'm <laughs> yeah. like, there's something that's so stupid about that as an insult that that made me laugh. And then yeah, he, yeah, Chet does kind of look yeah. like a, a turd toad, kind of. He does eat a fly. Yeah, maybe that's where I got it from. Yeah, I just always thought he was like a gross little toad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I've seen him described as a as a pile of shit. Yeah, I mean they call I, him that I, in the movie. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, right? right? Yeah, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> I think it's I think it's fun that he gets turned into a thing. But it's kind of like everything else where it doesn't have really much weight. Like it's yeah. just like well, you've been kind of mean to everybody, and so now you're a toad, and it's just another weird sort of thing. So it's kind of it's kind of exciting. That's a weird thing. But there's not. I don't feel much payoff with it. Right. I forgot about the boils and stuff. Those were so gross. Like even they're really gross. I wonder like what the cutoff was age wise at the time that this movie came out, where there was probably like people like, yeah, no, I'm not into this. This movie is dumb, and I can't. But like somebody just rolling their eyes when they saw that they turned Chet into a turd. You know, it does seem perfect for 13 year old boys. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like me, you know, yeah. being younger than that and then watching it, of course, over and over throughout that yeah. period of my life. I'm just like, yes, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the crazy thing about this movie, maybe, maybe even most of these teen movies by John Hughes, is that in some ways they probably do play to the middle school crowd as well as they do. You know, the crowd that's already in high school and like living these things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you're right, it is like especially this movie. It's it is that sort of wish fulfillment of, and these guys are so young. I mean, they're basically just in high school. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, maybe this is his ode to to middle school kids here. Really, mm-hmm. too bad he didn't make a middle school movie, man. People, where, where's that? I mean, that just gets too weird, probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have been weird, yeah. but man, who who better to like dive yeah, into the middle school? Been, like people wouldn't even been thinking about it. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still love everything at the mall. I just it's so funny oh, to man. me. I mean, those guys, the dance. that the the people then like spraying perfume in the air and Anthony Michael Hall calling them scents. Like, three cents, please wrap up three cents. <laughs> like, 
back. It's yeah. Like, makes me laugh. I noticed that, that there's a store in the mall called Wicks and Sticks, which I think is a candle store. That made me laugh. Um, just, yeah. you know, the icy... The Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Russell are like, as the girlfriends are talking about, I don't know, should we break up with them? They're in the background just making like weird gestures. It's so funny. I love that. It's so bizarre, but it's just like. It is. And it's such a, like, I just wouldn't have thought of doing that. You know, like, I don't think I would have come up with that for your bully characters. Like it, it made them in some weird way, likable and dislikable at the same time, you know? Um, did you notice that Downey Jr. in that scene, in the mall scene, has a popped collar? Oh yeah, that's crazy. I didn't, I didn't know that was a, that was like that period for that thing. It was kind of nuts. Oh yeah. Um, uh, but, but yeah, the Porsche yeah, yeah, yeah. picking that's, her that's up. A prominent collar. Yeah, and such a good. Uh, I love how they did the the introduction of Lisa to those two guys on the escalator. Yes. It's great. And like they, they make no bones about it. They like immediately ditch their girlfriends and are going after her. And yeah. you've got that line of extras standing, like turning their heads as Lisa walks by. And then Robert Downey Jr. and that guy, they just slap every single one of them as they walk by. Hilarious. Like it's yeah. just to me, it's like good. that is like, yeah, that's like quintessential 80s humor right there, too, you know? Good um, bits. There's a lot of toilet humor in this movie, though, that's for sure. Uh, and I was, you know, toilet. I loved. Uh, you know, like floating an air biscuit, that line, dropping wolf eight, all that stuff. Like to me, it just I, the slap, that's such a great slap. When uh, I'm, I'm jumping ahead to the party, oh, yeah. but when the girls no, no, are knocking fine. on the door, you know, oh, God, well, that's, that's one so of the good. moments I want to talk about, though. Yeah, we should talk that, about that I scene. Think... It's a weird scene, but it still makes me laugh. You know. Yeah, P- probably like good tension. I like it. I like the fact they're hiding in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. It kind of reconnects us with the fact that they're they're outcasts. They don't want to be. They don't know how to deal with all these people. Yep. Um, but uh, Wyatt does take a dump in there. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. He I flushes mean, the toilet, and they're like burning. Something. Yeah, he definitely is farting for sure. Yeah, I knew that. I mean, I would not be in the, I wouldn't want somebody in the bathroom with me if I were doing that. And I certainly would not volunteer to stay. I would hide somewhere else in that house. Right. That's a little forced. It feels like, yeah. I mean, it's possible. Sure. And that, that's, that's not even my major qualm though. Okay. Yeah. No, let's break it down. If you're bros enough where you can poop in a bathroom with your bro. We're not at that point, Greg, but go ahead. Yeah. I'm not. No, no. (laughs) That's, that's totally fine with me. But. I'm going off the assumption that he does unload in the bathroom at that point. And then the girls show up. Yeah. And I kind of love that because mm-hmm. now Gary's like, oh, no, yeah, you you know, you can't come in here. Um, but eventually the girls do go in there. And I mean, it's been like three minutes since the toilet was flushed. Yeah. And I just feel like that bathroom still stinks. <laughs> and I can't get that out of my you head the whole time it. I'm watching yeah. that scene. Like, there's no way... That bathroom with now four people in it mm-hmm. does not smell bad. Did they spray air freshener or anything? I can't remember. Either All way. All I remember is, is Wyatt like burning paper or something. <laughs> and even so, yeah. hey, spray as much uh, air freshener as you want. In three minutes, mm-hmm. I think he still stinks a little bit. You wouldn't want the girls you have crushes on. And that, that's what's so great is it's such, it's such a nightmare situation. Right. The girls you have crushes on. Wandering into a bathroom where you just took a dump. Yeah. 
That's that's horrifying. Would it's it be, a horror would, movie. Would it have been funnier if they had acknowledged the smell or no? I don't know. I the don't girls? know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And and it's and 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 it's like just just Gary and Wyatt just trying to convince them that it's it's something else. Or I, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's. I mean, yeah, sure. There's comedic potential there, but I mean, you know, I think comedy is pretty well squeezed out. Gotcha. In, in everything, no pun intended. Oh, definitely pun intended. I do love though the, them stepping into the shower and what are we going to do? Does the close on their mouth? Yeah. <laughs> they, they suddenly get oh. serious and devise a plan, and yeah, uh, yeah immediately ruined. Um, and, and what that in particular, and this this is going to go nowhere. Except that John Hughes wrote and directed, I believe, Uncle Buck. He did, yeah. And that little bit between Gary and Wyatt, the rhythm of it just reminded me so much of, and I think there's a similar thing in Sixteen Candles, but it reminded me so much of Calkin. Uh, little, little, uh, well, Big John Candy and Little uh, Home little Alone. Mac, yeah. You remember, remember when when he he like yes. grills John Candy when he shows up, and it's just like, why did you hear it? Yeah. Um, something about that rhythm just cracks me up, and, mm-hmm. it, and it worked in this one too. I kind of like that. It's a little, uh, little John Hughes uh, tool. Yeah, it's tool. it's definitely one of his tools. I mean, yeah. uh, and that's that's what it's it it is kind of refreshing in some ways to like watch these movies because it does feel like there's a good variety of jokes, you know. Yeah, and it's it's coming from everywhere too. Like I was just noticing how many times I think it's Robert Russler. He just makes like weird noises and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's one time with that, and then what, like when they show up at the party, he's like, "How you doing? How you doing?" Like he's just pro- like, there's no rhyme or reason for him pronouncing things weirdly. He just yeah. does, and it makes like it's. I remembered it as clear yeah. as day from watching it back. <laughs> like, it just sticks with you, and it it makes me laugh. Uh, again, in a different way. It's not like a deep chest laugh. It's not a physical gag or anything like that. But sure. it's just. Yeah, it's nice, just variety of humor. Um, well, and I think I think Hughes really um, cast the hell out of it. Oh God, yeah. Because like, yeah, <laughs> like I mean, of course, Robert Downey Jr. can riff and come up with weird, funny stuff to yeah. do. Like it, it, it does kind of feel like there's a very loose feeling to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that 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 is kind of cool. Even the decision to get those like one shot looks. From those two guys at Lisa, where Robert oh, Downey Jr. Man. bets. I mean, that's yeah, it's great. Like, why? Why am I laughing at just that look? But it's funny. Yeah, and why would you? I, I wouldn't even think to include that. It's such a stupid no. little thing. But yeah, it's and weird. It's great. Yeah, um, great. And that actually, maybe this we can tie this up here. Um, my biggest takeaway from watching this movie this time, God, I wish I could have been an extra for the party scene. You know. Yeah, because I was thinking about it again. Super long scene, and so I bet most of those extras were there for several days of shooting. And sure. you get all the fun of like the guy, the motorcycle gang coming in, and mm-hmm. then uh, that whole sequence. You've got Downey Jr. there; they're all on set. Everybody's there, and then the aftermath of that scene, and then the craziness of the missile coming up through the room and the place that's blue. I mean, obviously, so I'm sure they're so shuttered on the set, but still. Oh, man, if I could go back in time, that would be my... That's where I'm going to insert myself in 1985 movies, Craig. Oh. That scene. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. That, that may change yeah. when we watch, like, Out of Africa or something. You know, maybe I'll see, <laughs> see something <laughs> right. where I'm like, no, yeah, no, don't, I'm going to be don't, that. Yeah. Don't, 
Yeah, don't don't play that hand yet. I don't know. I'm calling it now. No, I think I'm. I don't know. I don't think I'm gonna take it back. I'm. I'm saying right now. That's yeah. If I could put myself in any 1985 movie, maybe that's it. Party scene. Fair enough. In Weird Science. Uh, I'll say this. Com- uh, considering, consider for a moment the coolest people in the movie, all the people who were the coolest, who mm-hmm. looked the best, mm-hmm. and are the coolest in the movie. Yep. I feel like um, uh, overall, the fashion choices of our two dorky heroes have aged much better. I think so. Yeah. Just one thing I was thinking when I was watching, especially Rustler and Downey. Oh God! Yeah. Like, like most of that, like the stuff they're wearing is just like, <laughs> what? What is that? Did you notice is that? What we were doing? Yeah, the weird thing that Rustler had on his hand when he shows up to the party. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's uh, oh, I don't know. Oh, you, it's some weird. I feel like Hughes was like glove. Hughes was always like on the cutting edge of that stuff. Yeah, like so cutting edge that it it came and went within like two years. Oh yeah, I mean the soundtrack you know I mean? and everything. Yeah, it's soundtrack. just right oh, on top totally. of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was working um, quickly. Obviously, I mean he turned these movies yeah. out pretty quickly within one another. So. He, uh, he sees the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did this in Breakfast Club, like same back year, to back, yeah. more or less. Like it was like boom. So yeah. yeah. I miss him. him. I do. Shall we take a trip, Craig, to a resort? A private resort. Okay, dudes, you ready to blast off? Private resort. Let me talk about the synopsis for Private Resort. Okay. Sean. And then I want to ask you a question before we get any further than you can take over for sure. Okay. But you go okay. ahead. Yeah. Synopsis is this us. Okay. Jack and Ben are teen buddies who are on the sexual prowl for beautiful, wealthy girls at a posh Miami resort where they are weekend guests. Also on the prowl is the maestro, a skilled jewel thief who is pursuing the diamond necklace of society woman Amanda Rawlings. Uh, and then they, they, they accidentally run afoul of the maestro. Yep. Uh, so that's, I guess that's the movie. But that is kind of the movie. Yeah. Um, what's your question, Sean? This parlays great to my question, actually. Oh, good. I just want to try a little experiment here, Craig. Sure. <laughs> I want you to tell me everything you know about Jack and Ben, Rob Morrow, Johnny Depp, <laughs> that you learned from the movie itself. Uh, go. <laughs> what do you know about they, them as uh, as people? You see, you asked that question, but I I gleaned a lot here. Okay, from the Starting movie. With from the movie, one, not yes. the internet. Oh, okay, no, only from the movie. Okay. nothing from the internet. Number one, they love the ladies. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I ahead. mean, from scene number one. Yeah, yeah. Keep going, Sean. Keep going. These are two guys who love the ladies. Yeah. Keep going. All right. Um. Is it is it the same thing to say that they're they're trying to hook up with ladies? I see that feels like the same thing. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna call that the same thing. Yeah, keep going. They want to drug ladies. Yeah, I feel like a lot of this is the same thing. <laughs> so let's. Yeah, I mean, you're, Are you you're saying they... very well taken, Sean. <laughs> Maybe because not only do we not know anything about them, like here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't know anything about that. When you were a teenager, not a teenager, but these guys are probably 
in their 20s? We're, yeah, we don't even know how old they are. I was going to ask you, how old are these guys? Because it's never set up. We never talk about college or high school. I assume they must be college because they're not there with their families. And I, and I was just like, how many private resorts did you go to <laughs> in your early 20s? Just you and a buddy. Uh, I can and, safely and, and say none, there. Craig. And you went, th- you paid all that money, Sean. You paid all that dough because you you love the ladies. Mm. Again, the answer yeah, is zero. Uh, it's, a weird, it's a weird setup. See, that's the thing. Whenever I read the, the synopsis, in my head, I just had this feeling of like, like, hey, you graduated from something uh, and your parents gave you this gift, send you to this resort or something. But there's nothing. I mean, the first thing you see is that them just walking through a resort. And apparently they paid for it. Like they, they, these two buddies went there to get laid, I guess. Well, I'm not a, you, we'll just pause for one second here because I'm going to mm. actually point the finger to at Wikipedia here and probably some of the okay. movie's marketing because right here it says Johnny Depp and Rob Morrow stars Jack and Men, respectively, teen buddies. Mm-hmm. Teen right. buddies who are on the sexual prowl for beautiful. Oh, teen buddies. You're right. I just read that for God's sake. Okay. I yeah. have a heart, you know, because yeah, that was our whole thing. It's like, well, let's, let's take a look at two very different, uh, at least successfully different teen sex comedies here. And, and by everything I had read was led to believe that Johnny Depp and Rob Morrow were playing teenagers. Maybe they're 19 again. Maybe the drinking sure. age is 18 in Florida at the time. Possibly. Don't, don't know. Uh, sure. but, but I'm with you in thinking, I don't know, maybe they're not teens, you know, uh, maybe they're supposed to be in a t- but anyway, larger point is I, I do think this may be, uh, w- the least amount of exposition I've ever got from a single movie in my life. <laughs> oh yeah. Specifically well, about and, the and main characters. Yeah. And, and, and. You know, it's it's a really good symptom of something that runs through the whole movie to a fascinating degree, which is this movie is so out of whack. If you really watch it, like there are scenes toward the end of the movie that clearly took place originally at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like there are there are like and, and, and it's it's sort of just this big jumbled mess of things that were cut together and and, you, and it kind of just feels like this is something like as a as its regular story it must have just not been moving at all and they just said let's just chop it up and you know forget about their backstory forget about whatever whatever they're there let's just focus on the jewel thief and we'll just like maybe maybe they shot some more scenes of just like hijinks which honestly a lot of the hijinks kind of worked at least better than dangerous curves which we were talking about before i feel like Maybe that should be my question for you is like, how do you feel about this movie, Sean? Like, did this come out ahead of Dangerous Curves for you? It absolutely did. And that's what I wanted to follow up with and put that out there because, by God, I I did kind of enjoy this stupid movie. I mean, it's not. Uh, Yeah. We'll spend the rest of this talking about why it's not good. It is not a good movie by any standard. No. And I think you're absolutely right about some reshuffling of sequences here. And there's some repetitive sequences, too. Sure. But it's kind of fun. I, I, this, it could be a movie that falls into the so bad it's good category a little bit. But I do feel like a lot of the laughs are intentional. Like it's not, it doesn't share, you know, it's not the room. It's not Trolls 2. Right. It's not that kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about here. But I, I think, 
again, like just from talking about the fact that you don't know a damn thing about your two leads and you will not for the entire movie. I barely knew their name. I couldn't tell you where they yeah. came from. I don't know if they have parents. Maybe they're orphans. Maybe they were killed. Uh, the parents were killed. Maybe they <laughs> killed their parents. You do not know. So you kind of do not care. But no. they're likable enough. And I think there's enough good gags nostalgically good gags i think you know this is definitely a movie yeah. of its time and it wouldn't even exist if it were not of its time um that it kind of works in a weird stupid way it does and i feel like <laughs> what, it, what it shares with weird science that it does not share with dangerous curves for instance is they both have a very confident pace yeah so even if things don't work like a like a, a gag falls short it doesn't matter like they're not just sitting on it. 82 minutes. Um, yeah. You're not going to be bored. 82 minutes, yeah. yeah. It's real quick. Super quick. They, they like their set pieces. Like yeah. there's this whole, the whole thing with the barber <laughs> and the security like, it's guard. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, it's porno level storytelling. Yeah. Like it's, it's like it's funny. none of this, none of this would be happening. And no there's one boobs, would, so yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And believe me, it, it comes so close. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yes, yeah, so, so much of it is, is, you know, uh, 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 there you, you can't really buy any of it, so you have to buy into it just to kind of enjoy it. But yeah, but there's these long set pieces, like like uh, I don't know, they, you know, Rob Morrow gives Hector Elizondo the worst haircut in history, <laughs> which, that, is that, funny, which yeah. I also think is well, like I feel like that's almost impossible. Like you could have given him like a bad, but of course, of course, it's it's totally over the top. Yeah, no, you would Terrible have to, haircut. Yeah. I mean. With your non-dominant hand blindfolded, you might achieve that haircut. But right, otherwise, right. There, yeah, there's he could have faked that so easily and not done such oh, a man. terrible job. And that, yeah, I mean, listen to us right here. We we need to stop and recognize that this movie hinges the plot of this movie hinges upon a jewel thief getting mad that a hapless boy uh, pretended to be a barber and gave him a bad haircut and wants revenge. Yeah. Through the rest of the movie. Through the rest of the movie. That's what we're talking about yeah. here, folks. <laughs> so, and it's fun. But it's hey, still hey, funny. Like it's God. exactly. I mean, that is nothing you, to you hang. Set your up head that on. gag, yeah. and the gag runs the rest of the way through the movie. Like they, they don't lose that thread. Um, but but like I still love, like just I mean just the again like the porno level logic of like. Yeah. Uh, so Do- Johnny Depp gets <clears throat> stuck in the closet of this woman because he's for some reason convinced that she left him her hotel key because she wants to sleep with him. So he's now naked in her closet while Rob Morrow is giving him a terrible haircut out in the main area of their suite. And she comes in and finds Johnny Depp naked in the closet. Uh, yeah, I wanted then, to emphasize the fact that he was naked and that he got yeah. naked right in front of Rob Morrow. And then just yeah. moving. Into, I thought that was a weird call. I mean, he could have waited, gone into the other room. He could have just left his boxers on until she got there. Um, but uh, he didn't. That's, that's not what No, this. I agree. I agree. To- <laughs> totally weird call. Aside from the fact that it sets up, like, you know, the, the tension a little bit later. Yeah. But again, we are also talking about two movies about bros who are very, very tight, Sean. They are tight. And they're so tight that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'm, I'm going to like, hey, man, I'm going to be in this other room having sex with somebody we just met, and you're going to hang out out here. Yeah. Cool? Cool. All right, I'm going to take my clothes off right now. 
Um, now, if they had done that in the bathroom, I never yeah. experienced, but that doesn't mean they don't happen. Yeah, if they had done that in the bathroom right after one of them had taken a dump, I mean, we would have had the ultimate oh, man. bro down. That would have been pure gold. Uh, we should mention but, actually that the the wife of Hector Elizondo, the wife of the jewel thief, oh, I think she's his wife, right? Um, yeah, something like the that. blonde bombshell. Oh, I mean, I just completely overly exaggerated everything. Is yeah. uh, Leslie East- Easterbrook, who was in, uh, she's in all the Police Academy movies. Um, she's Callahan. Leslie Easterbrook. Yeah. yeah. And she's great. Yeah. We'll see her again, she's too. She's great in this. Yeah, Police Academy, too. She's great in it. And in this scene, her husband is about to come into the room. So she grabs Johnny Depp and hides him under the covers. Like, she gets in the bed and hides him under the covers, pretends like she's the only person. Yeah. In the bed. Again, <laughs> nothing that anyone would ever no, do. Yeah. Your mind would never go there in a thousand years. Uh, Leave him in the closet, regardless. But his leg is sticking out from under the uh, blanket. And I can't tell you how much this gag works for me. Hairy leg. Mainly yeah. because, so you see her at the top of the bed, you see his hairy leg sticking out, and you know you know from the second you see the hairy leg, yep. Hector Elizondo is going to touch that leg and not realize there's a man in the room. Yeah. And... And Sean, I like that on so many levels because again, it's it's the dumbest thing. If you if I touched my wife's legs, and I have no idea how often she shaves her legs, but if I touched her legs and they felt like mine, I'd be like, that's not her leg. It's not normal, yeah. <laughs> There's no way I would think that was her leg. <laughs> well, um, not but, only but that, it's, it's great. It's so great. I love it. Great enough that they yeah. did it again. Basically, the same gag when he was in the bathtub. Yeah and had soap suds over his face and pulled Rob Morrow into the tub and squeezed his boobs and had to put his hand in the water to his junk before he could figure out that that also was not his way. (laughs) That's, I mean, that is really, Uh, that level of comedy is totally consistent through the whole movie. Yeah. And so much of that works just fine for me. Yeah, I mean. It's so ridiculous. Great. It is. It's got a very summer camp kind of vibe to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say there's a little bit of, if you like Red Oaks, you might like a little bit of this movie. Um, I got that in my notes. I was going to bring that uh, up later. Know? It's like Red Oaks is the thinking man's private resort. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. I don't remember that being referenced in any of our discussions, but uh, <laughs> it, it should have been for sure. Yeah, but for sure. I don't know. I mean, I'm curious about this movie in some ways because watching it, I did kind of feel like, and I think the, the you know, we talked about the box office results, which kind of indicate the same thing. This is not something that I was aware of at the time. You know, again, I, I was like eight years old when this movie would have come out and didn't even think about it too much later. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to look back at, at a movie like this and then think about this was clearly a poor man's knockoff of one of those other movies, you know? Yes. Um, that's why this existed. You know, it's like I kept thinking about, like, you know, we, we sort of got into that a little bit with, uh, what was it, like Volcano and then the other Volcano movie. And some of those, mm-hmm. you know, or even, like, you see it with musical scenes, like, you know, Nirvana explodes and six months later you've yeah, got... Yeah. Everything's grunge. You know, way, way, way lesser versions of Nirvana out there. And so this is the the way, way lesser version of 1985's Nirvana. Um, Sure. But And so, yeah, it was kind of interesting to look at it like in that lens and and wonder, 
yeah, about people at the time just watching this going, oh, God, like this is just such a crappy version of something I've seen a million times. Or if they're just like, yeah. oh, yeah, but yeah, more the merrier, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, it's an interesting flick for sure because, again, like I really think the only bit of information you get is that these guys are here. They say at the upfront that they're there for four days. And right. I, th- I think that's – I don't remember them ever saying the name of the resort. Do you? No. So you don't know that? No. There's a jewel thief there, and somehow he gets the most exposition of anybody in the movie. I mean, it could be one of these weird movies again where, you know, like Bond or something, he is actually the protagonist, and it's these yeah. other kids that are stopping him at every turn. But it's it's the kind of exposition that is delivered via – Hector Lozondo in a pool, talking on a cordless telephone, using binoculars to look at uh, the diamond on a woman who's just, she's seated like across the way. Now, I've been to several pools in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would stand out to me. I feel like people would question, what is that man doing in the pool with binoculars, for starters? Mm -hmm. Should he be talking on a cordless phone right now while he's doing that in the pool? Seems dangerous. Um, Yeah, all of those things. Uh, No, nobody raises an eyebrow um, with this. uh, And, yeah, it's just you got to roll with that. You know, it's it's also one of these movies where you, I mean, you could feel them kind of trying to create the level of fun of this place, especially in the opening, you know, you're the camera's moving around a lot and you're following a lot of different characters. And of course there's, I mean, 20 different girls in suggestive poses in the opening of this thing, you know, in various level of cleavage hanging out. And the one pervert kid who's like trying to snatch away the bikini tops with uh, a weird, with a fishing line. And then later with like a weird little grabby claw thing and that I mean, that kid is like, again, it's like it's a it's a lesser version of something that probably works better in a different movie that I can't think of. But right. but God bless it, you know. It's like, sure. of course, there's a, a pervy weird little pervert kid, pervert yeah. kid. Um, I mean, and he even got a line in the movie too. You remember that? No, what was it? I think it was after, yeah. So Johnny Depp at a certain point is trying to hit up the Leslie Easterbrook character who is uh, Elizondo, the jewel thief's wife. She gets up, you know, she's nice about it, but she's like, yeah, you're coming on pretty strong. I don't think my husband would like that. Uh, Gets up from her pool lounger chair and she has dropped her key. Johnny Depp is like, well, obviously she did that on purpose because she wants us to go up there. And I think it's when they start, sort of decide to go up to the room. The mm-hmm. perv kid like pops up out of the water in the pool or, or like he was right there. He's like, boy, I'd pay to see this. And then like to the camera and then he wags his eyebrows suggestively. <laughs> yeah. Like at that point, I'm like, oh, good God. Like this is, I mean, this is going to be, <laughs> I, that was like, this is terrible, but I'm laughing it's going to be all downhill from there. And yeah, I do think the biggest surprise of the movie though, is the fact that they got comedy out of the Elizondo stuff because it just, again, like what we were talking about in the tee up episode, there's a, there's a jewel thief in this movie. Like to me, it still seems unbelievable. I mean, and there's, again, there's no real rhyme or reason for it to be there, you know? 
has right. nothing to do with these guys trying to get laid. Um, yeah, no. He's just an obstacle. And, yeah, some of that shit was funny to me. I mean, you know, his stupid haircut, his stupid grabbing his wife's, what he thinks is his wife's hairy leg, him uh, meeting that old lady at a club and, like, trying to talk to her and realizing she's deaf and laughing at that, but then getting his hat knocked off on the dance floor and everybody laughing at his hair. <laughs> she she yeah. has to, like, uh, I'm going to go do something else. I mean, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's really dumb. Well, let's talk about the aerobics class. Yeah. I love the aerobics class. Like, at least one time, Hector Elizondo is chasing uh, yeah, Morrow and Depp through the resort, and they end up in an aerobics class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Elizondo ends up at the front of the class. Depp and uh, Rob end up at the back of the class. And the uh, aerobics instructor is very forceful and somehow manages to get Hector, I guess, so scared <laughs> or scared enough yeah. of her that he like pretends to be taking place in the aerobics class while trying to see where Depp and Rob Morrow are. And again, it's so dumb. Yes. It's so very deeply dumb. Um, but it's... it's I laughed. It's well-paced dumbness. I, ro- yeah, I, I mean, wrote it just, down, yeah. I made a note of it. It made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it's so goofy. And, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know that there are really that many bits that are bad. I mean, outside of just the sort of general, like, you know, 1985, like misogyny of it. Like, I don't feel like there's a, there's not, again, there's not really a female character really to be had. I mean, you, uh, there's the waitress. A bit yeah. More, I think like there, there's the waitress, Patty. but, and, and, and definitely she, she's certainly much more human and she is not, I don't know. She, she, she definitely is kind of our guiding light. Yeah. Like she's, she's not played to be an idiot. Like, nope. Like the the old lady or her cousin you know, Shirley, whatever cousin Shirley, and I mean <laughs> Depp's woman. Who is she? No clue. Yep, couldn't tell you anything like, about I, her. I ended up knowing nothing about her except that her name's Dana. Her her grandmother. That, that was her grandmother, right? Or was he, her mom? That was her grandmother. That was her grandmother. Her grandmother controls who she can see or not. Well, they didn't even. They set up something where like he got a hot tip. Johnny Depp from the luggage guy yes. about which is who the, also pretty great. And yeah. that's where I started thinking about Red Oaks, by the way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like yeah, anyway. Totally. Um and that guy's like, okay, well here's what you need to know. Like the grandma's blah, 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 blah. And then she's you know, controls whoever Dana sees and something, something. Somehow I don't know the the idea of a doctor came up. So Johnny Depp pretends to be a doctor. And I don't remember them ever even resolving did the girl already know that he wasn't a doctor? She knew, right? Yeah, I don't think she cared. Okay. I, I think she wasn't buying into it. Like, it, it seemed like they were both, in a weird way, they were both talking the same language. Like, he's, okay. he's telling the, the grandmother that he's a doctor, and she's like, whatever. But I still expected I that to, to somehow play out with a grandma, that that was going to be like, you're not a doctor? You know, like one of those dumb scenes. But yeah. Like, they they well, don't even do that. Know, like, it's not. <laughs> what, what I wanted was there to be, like, somebody in, like, cardiac arrest or something. Oh, yeah, later yeah, yeah. On, where the grandmother's, oh, well, thank God we have a doctor, you yeah. know, and then him having to fumble. I kind of felt like that was kind of a missed opportunity but 
But yeah, at the same time, I was glad they dropped that whole thing because it's super dumb. It's super and, dumb. And I didn't have to worry about it again for the rest of the movie. And they already have the whole mistaken identity sort of thing with uh, Rob Morrow having, you know, with uh, Elizondo thinking that Rob Morrow is actually the hotel barber. Which mm-hmm. I will say, if there is a gag that I will point at that really just kind of did nothing for me, it was the German hotel barber. <laughs> who was so stern and strong about being a barber. I mean, I kind of liked that he had a rivalry with the security guard, uh, Reeves. But so it's just like (laughs) one of those things where they end up in an elevator together, the two of them, these like minor characters, and they're like yelling at each other, and it turns into sort of like a Three Stooges fight. And I was like, they could have just cut that scene. But then, no, yeah. I didn't realize, like, I give them actually credit because that was just, like, beat one. So then there's, like, another moment where some more people get on the elevator, including the clearly uh, cookie-cutter Spicoli ripoff, but with, like, the hedgehog, oh, pointy, spiky haircut. Um, that guy was hot and cold for me, but, man, yeah. sometimes it paid off. Sometimes but it worked, ahead. yeah. So then he gets on, and then there's another time when then there's another hot girl that the thinks that the security guard is a perv. So, like, they did sort of, like, the rule of three thing a little bit. And I was yeah. like, oh, you know what? Okay, that's kind of funny. But I, I can't tell you anything about what else happened to that barber. I don't remember what the payoff was for that or anything. No, like, I, I don't weird. think there was one. Yeah. Like, I, think, I think later he's accosted by the, the, the old lady who was taking all the quaaludes. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't know what happened after that. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, he's just, like, out... Yeah, it was it was very bizarre. It was very bizarre. Although I would like to bring up the security guy. Yeah, let's talk about him. I feel like, yeah, like there there wasn't, I don't know, he was never really given much of a character oh outside God, of no. just being yeah. like the uptight security guy. But I kind of found him to be really good in all of his moments. Like he was, even even when it, the jokes made no sense at all, like yeah. he was a really good, you know, uptight security guard whose who's, his sole purpose was to be like one-upped in every scene. Absolutely. Like whatever was happening, he would end the scene, no matter how right he was, he would end the scene like totally ruined. I mean, he is, yeah, uh, in some ways just like physical comedy sort of relief there. He reminded me of like, this is dumb, but like uh, Borat in a weird way and like Inspector Mm -hmm. Gadget for some reason. (laughs) Just some weird like... (laughs) Look about the guy. Yeah, it's uh, Tony Azito, who's no longer with us, unfortunately. But um it says he was in Moonstruck here, which would uh, be interesting to see. I don't remember that. Yeah, but um definitely a better security guard than in Dangerous Curves. Yeah. Although, and like he gets beat up so much in this movie, which that's kind of funny. And uh, there's an amazing number of chase sequences in this movie. I mean, half the movie is spent yeah. chasing Rob Morrow in the hallway or Johnny Depp in the hallway. And this is definitely a time before automatically locking hotel room doors because uh, yes. they they just kind of come and go in, in and out of people's rooms all the time. And it just so happens that the rooms that they go into are rooms where there's already some sort of trouble brewing with somebody else that they know, uh, including at one point uh, someone played by Andrew Dice Clay, who in this movie... Did not have dice in his credit. I think this was one of his yes. first on-screen appearances. So it was just Andrew Clay. But he did have hairy shoulders. So hairy. Oh, man. Oh, so gross. <laughs> 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 I had a hard time with that. But 
yeah. I think that it was a little repetitive. I mean, at a certain point, I didn't need to see Rob Morrow get chased again, especially when there's a moment where he's, of of course, chased by Hector Elizondo into a room where they appear to be setting up for some sort of fashion show, because why not? I mean, it's a private resort. I guess that's the kind of thing that happens. And all these girls are getting dressed. And so he slips into uh, a dress and a hat of some kind. And immediately, Elizondo is all over him. Andrew Dice Clay. I mean, like these guys are competing. Andrew Dice Clay and Elizondo, the two toughest guys in the movie, are so smitten with a man in a wig and a hat you can't see his, his eyes. Face they can't see. Yeah, but you yeah. can still kind of. T- I mean, that's the thing. You're like, you can't even see this guy. How is he supposed to be that fetching or woman? How is she supposed well, to be that fetching that they're like grabbing her ass and assault? You know, sexually assaulting her in the freaking elevator. I I will yeah. uh, uh, as a, to to be uh, to be an advocate for the movie. I would like to point out that that's pretty much the standard for every guy in the movie. Is uh, does she have boobs? Yeah. Does she have a butt? Okay. Good. We'll Good worry go. about that face later. Um, That's true. That's true. Yeah. Although, but, but, but it is it is hilarious though. Yeah. Again, you're absolutely right. Like he's gone in there, just eyes red, after this barber that ruined his hair. Only thing he cares about. Yeah. And then it's Rob Morrow in a dress, and he's like, oh, "Forget about that." Yeah. <laughs> like, I know. I'm what you, just ready to leave my yeah. wife everything oh, wow. because of this. Yeah, yeah. I will. Yes, fool. I'm done with all that. Um, yeah. Again, that's that's the level we're at. That's the level we're at. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about just to complete our sort of side character uh, trip here, uh, cousin Shirley, because <laughs> mm. that whole storyline. There's some stuff in that that cracked me up a little bit. Uh, sure. So, yeah, uh, Johnny Depp gets a date with the girl that's been an object of his affection, Dana, and she's the one who has a grandma. And also she says, well, you know, I, I got a I don't remember what the freaking setup was to this. Basically, it's just we got to have a double date with my cousin Shirley and Johnny Depp's like, oh, no problem. My friend Ben will come, you know, Rob Moore. And they get into the room. And I really thought that was a really successful reveal of cousin shirley because you don't see her at first or in the room it's there's sort of the anticipation of uh rob morrow kind of wondering what he's getting into here because he's already kind of got the hots for the waitress you know and this is sort of distracting him from that he's supposed to meet her later that night and they say something about cousin shirley and then she uh, maybe you see her a second before <laughs> she rises, like she's laying down flat on yeah. the couch and she just sort of slowly rises up like Linda Blair in The Exorcist or something. But she's got right. this like white robe on and this white turban on. It's very, very white. Uh, you know, pretty attractive woman here. Uh, and certainly the actress is. Um, but uh, it was so, like I did not expect that at all. And like I was like, okay, what are, what are we getting into here? But she's like, uh, she's spiritually moved. Not unlike Kate Winslet in Holy Smoke and has devoted her new life to a guru who she has a picture of. And that picture is hilarious, too. I mean, it's just this guy with this like very like ridiculous smile on his face. And um, I found that storyline kind of funny. 
and sure. uh, the best beat of it after. I mean, clearly you can kind of see where it's going when we're cutting back and forth between the two dates. And Rob Morrow is uh, in the room with Cousin Shirley, and she's, like, talking about freeing yourself from your external layers, and she's taking off her clothes, and she's gorgeous. And um, that doesn't go the way, obviously, Rob Morrow planned. But there's some point later where I think Rob Morrow is actually when he is in drag and trying to run away from the bad guys, which he does for 90% of this movie, uh, he's out on the balcony and accidentally knocks a potted plant off and it nails Cousin Shirley in the head. I laughed so hard at that. I mean, it's like, again, oh, the yeah. dumbest gag, but because of, I mean, she's so innocent, there's really no reason to dislike her whatsoever. I mean, she's no. just into her own thing. and she's She doesn't deserve to get a pot in the head. I know, it's so funny. Eh, why not? Oh, now, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. And by elephant, I mean, I mean Quaaludes. Yeah. Because just before this date, which I agree is 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 kind of one of the highlights. Like it gets, it gets pretty uh, goofy in there. Yeah, and it's pretty fun. Oh man! But before, like Johnny Depp is trying to get out of the room and go off on his date with his woman, and he's trying to keep, get Rob to stay there, but Rob don't want to stay. Yeah, and I believe it's it's at this point, and Johnny Depp says, "Here, you know, use these three of these, and she'll be, you know, she'll melt in your hand or something." Yep. And he's like, "Aspirin?" He says, "No, it's not aspirin. It's quaaludes." Yeah. And and especially now. No, yeah, that's not. Yeah. Having gone through the whole Bill Cosby thing. Yep. It's like, wow, that's super dark. These are our heroes who granted we know nothing about. Sure. You know, really maybe there's not being a maybe there's not a real value judgment being made by the movie itself. It's just like yeah. we told you you didn't know these guys. Like Well, and I, <laughs> like, I think in sure. uh in number 4 of the private series, which you know, if you missed that previous episode, uh, yeah. This is number three in a movie, series of movies. There was Private Lessons and Private School, Private School, Matthew Modine and uh, Phoebe Cates. So we got to see that at some point. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe if they had made a fourth one, they'd have been like, oh, joke's on you. These two guys are serial rapists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You thought you were in for another yeah. comedy. Private prison. No. Uh, no. But yeah, <laughs> that stuff's a little icky to me. Uh, there were a couple things in here, you know, I, I still think some of the nudity is, I mean, obviously like the whole movie's misogynistic and you know, completely objectifies women. Yeah. Uh, some of the nudity is, is at least playfully fun. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, Dice Clay's woman, uh, his woman, well, that's what he would have called her, his girlfriend or whatever. Mm-hmm. She passes out drunk and like they're just dragging her around and dropping her, which some of my stuff I thought was kind of funny, but uh, you know she's like in her bra and panties, sure. and it's just like at a certain point that gets a little icky. Yeah. And then there's, there's also a lot of yeah, there's like a, a, a like fat humor in this too, you know. And in in yeah. both instances, it's like again, it's women. Like, and I, the, yeah. the one was really disappointing because you know Johnny Depp is is into this girl, and he like walks over to the pool, and there's a large woman swimming. And he's talking to her, and she's friends with the, the other girl. And he's, you know, he, I just thought, oh, that's that's kind of nice. Okay, he's like, you know, being nice to her to kind of ask yeah, about because right then you expect her to just immediately be a punchline of some kind. Right? Yeah, but instead he's just relating to her as a human being. It's kind of like, oh, okay. right. But, the, <laughs> but yeah, then he's like helping her out of the pool, and it's like, oh, nope, one person's not going to do it. So I think he enlists the security guard who happens to be walking by. But then he sees. 
Leslie Easterbrook, if I'm not mistaken, and immediately just drops the girl who then falls back yeah. in the water and pulls in the security guard. And then, which we got to talk about the sequence with the machine guns and, and shooting up the cafe, but like, yeah, oh, there's man. gunfire taking place and everybody's hitting the deck except for the one large woman who's like can't stop eating and is like reaching across everybody's plates now Oof. that they're under the table. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, yeah. Times have changed. Not making me feel great. A little yeah. bit. Yeah, this probably isn't going to. It isn't going to pass. I'm sure it probably didn't even fly then, obviously. I mean, I think this is right. your well, I mean, attitude. But forget about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. But 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 even that, um, and, and even given that it's been 30 years, I mean, now to have a movie where a guy like chases these guys to this building and is like firing machine guns just at whatever. Whatever, yeah. Just going nuts. And and at the end of that sequence, the hotel security is like on his side. Mm-hmm. Well, and my favorite thing about that sequence, and this is Hector Elizondo, yeah, like he kind of like, I don't even remember where he got the machine gun from, but he's been chasing Rob Morrow and Johnny Depp with a yeah, pistol and he's like shooting at him. And of course, people people do start screaming and reacting because this place is packed. He goes into like the cafe and then he's a machine gun. He's just like opening fire. I mean, just to get yeah. this damn diamond back, which again, he wanted the diamond. He could have just killed the old lady. You know, if he's prepared sure. to shoot everyone in a cafe, everyone could have killed the old. And, and really, what does he think is going to be achieved by murdering everyone at the resort? But the best like, is he really going to get that thing and drive away? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, well, okay. actually, this is the that was the funniest thing about the whole sequence to me was at the very end of it, the cops do show up and like Elizondo and the security guard, are like him, he stole my diamond. So they're like. All right, you kids, come on. What's going on here? You're going downtown. They're going to arrest Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Never yeah. mind. Like, no. Like, everybody else was a witness to the Who's fact the that this the was gun? opening fire. And, like, they're just prepared to, like, take him at his word. And, like, <laughs> yeah. so maybe he could have gotten away with it, actually, you know, just given the nature of these, like, bumbling idiot cops, oh, you know. Oh, man. It was crazy. Cuh. That's good. Crazy. Good times. Now, let me talk about the editing real quick. Yeah, let's do it. Now, there was one bit that that mainly stood out for me and if i ever feel like going back and watching this again maybe i will and just try and piece together exactly what was supposed to happen i saw a note earlier on about some of the goofs in the movie quote unquote and this really wasn't a goof necessarily but i want to say that it was uh, toward the beginning of the movie you first meet the security guard and he comes over and he's kind of hassling depp and rob morrow at the bar uh-huh and then and, and then they're like oh no we're guests oh, yeah it's like, like what are your kids oh. doing here you have to be a yeah Guest exactly, today. yeah. It's like what? Yeah, I don't exactly. even know why so, he came to that conclusion either. By the way, just by looking at him, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. It was. It really didn't make any sense. But then he was like, "Okay, you, you know, you have keys, whatever," and he like walks away. Next scene, and I think it's like it might even be the very next scene. He's walking inside the the hotel, and he clearly has a black eye. Yes. Or or no no he, he, actually no he was outside. Regardless, he the next had time it you before. See him, he's got a black yeah. eye. Yeah, and it and it's like you can't miss it. Like it's nope. Even in my ter- like the terrible version I was watching, he had a black eye, and um, and then about fifty to sixty minutes later, <laughs> after that scene, he doesn't have a black eye, and he manages to get himself punched in that eye by Andrew Dice Clay. Yep. And that's the point where everything started unraveling on me, you know, like uh, 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 Inception <laughs> yeah, style. <that's>, yeah. <laughs> 
I was like, what? Like, in which way was this? Is this like, yeah, memento, I guess I should say. But yeah, it's just like all of a sudden everything started coming apart. And I was like, wow, what? What order was this movie supposed to be in? And would well, see, it have been better in that order? Yeah, when you enter the private resort, time actually, and this was why the only exposition in the movie was that you're there, there for four days. But time is nonlinear. It's circular here, Craig. And so you're circular. seeing it all at circle? once. Yeah, That's why when they walk into the one room, there's sumo wrestlers in a circular ring, right? Oh. Is this all making sense now? Well, it is, and yeah. it kind of leads me to one of my <laughs> most pressing questions that I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Could this all have been a dream? I would love that so much. That that Gary from Weird Science had. Oh God. Yeah, it would it would fall in line with one of his dreams. Yeah. He would see himself as Johnny Depp, probably, uh-huh. and Wyatt as Rob Morrow. Yeah. That's uh, one of my pressing questions. It could you work. You may have just cracked the code. Yeah. Maybe. Well, let's talk about Depp and Mr. Rob Morrow here for just a second. I mean, obviously, very, very early on in their careers, and you had a great quote from Johnny Depp about the whole experience uh, in the tee-up episode, which we don't need to repeat. Uh, I thought they weren't bad. I thought Johnny Depp... No, they're good. I mean, some of the physical stuff that Johnny Depp is doing was, was pretty funny. I mean, I like how many times... I mean, it, it again, it's so repetitive about them being in like these little sticky situation vignettes where they got to get out of there, mm-hmm. but they can't just come out and say the truth of the situation. Uh, right. Even though at times I thought they could have. There's a lot of just like them kind of quietly like pushing each other, trying to get out the door and like, you know, just back and forth and, and all these things and then quickly sort of changing things. And I, I thought they, they were kind of good at that. I mean, I, I, I think with like lesser actors at all, like, oh my God, this thing would have been such a chore to get through. Um, yeah. Because they are kind of likable, even though like, yeah, you you know nothing about them and they're not doing necessarily oh, likable thing. things no. uh, at all. Uh, and they're Drugging women, not very likable. Just on the prowl. Um, sure. But yeah, I didn't mind it at all. I, I thought that was kind of fun. I, I thought Depp actually disappears for like a section of the third act it felt like which was a weird choice to me um like yeah like it all started kind of center on rob morrow or other characters for a while yeah uh if you're so inclined you you do see both of their asses i think multiple times in this movie yeah um that's out there uh rob morrow i mean northern exposure Love, 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 love. And I've liked him in other things, Quiz Show, whatever. I felt like there was a weird tick in this. I mean, there was a time, actually, I wrote down where I was like, he's this smiling thing he's doing is like uh, like borderline psychopathic. Like, because it's, uh, yeah, I mean, especially there's that scene where he's like hiding from Hector Elizondo and he jumps under the table. And the waitress like is, are you okay? And is like under there with him. And they're having a conversation and he just like, You'll say something like one word, and then just like get this like smile, which yeah, when you pair that with the quaaludes, it's it's creepy. It's a little creepy. It's they should have cut back yeah. on that. That that was something, and and I feel like he he's always kind of had a a weird thing about the smile. <laughs> Even now, as and, an and, actor, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, I, I I think it's fallen off over oh, the God, years. I hope like, so. I, yeah. I don't really remember it on Northern Exposure, but like. 
But yeah, he kind of has a weird way of talking when the smile comes on and and yeah, in, in this in this movie he really really holds that smile. Yeah. It, it really made me think more like the, you know, editor and the director in the room like uh man, Rob Morrow's got a winning smile. Let's Let's just keep that on the screen as much as possible. Any take you have where he's smiling while talking, we'll just put it there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a little unsettling, and it kind of makes you wonder, like what the what the oh man, of course I can't remember her name right now. What's her name? Patty. Dana. No. Or his girl. Yeah, Patty. the waitress Patty, was yeah. Patty. Yeah. Emily yeah. Longstreth. That makes you wonder. That's <laughs> actress. Yeah, Emily Longstreth. Kind of makes you wonder what Patty is so excited about here. But again, much like Weird Science, there's nothing to really see in these guys. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I don't think he's got a ton to do in these moments. So, you right. know, it, it's probably just a young actor just, you know, that's his default go-to. And sure. maybe they didn't have and it's enough takes and editing yeah, like or something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but um, I don't know. I don't think it is fine. I th- it's distracting. I mean, I think it's legitimately dist- it that we both noticed it. That's come on. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to give him a complete pass on that. Uh, one other actor actually I wanted to mention was Michael Bowen. He played the guy that was the just overbearing hard ass boss of the waitresses. Um, oh yeah. Which I don't understand the character at all. I mean, other than just like, well, we should have one just like legitimate dick in this movie. And he happened to be it. Sure. Uh, but that guy, I was like, he looks familiar. He was in, uh, he's been in a couple of Tarantino movies. And Jackie Brown, both of the Kill Bill movies. Yeah. He played Buck in the Kill Bill movies. Oh. Yeah. And uh, it says here he was yeah. in Magnolia as well and a couple other things. He's been in a bunch. But um, I, I think, you know, certain people will definitely recognize that guy, at least his face. And his he did see you know for some reason I kept thinking of of him as like uh, uh, either Will Forte's MacGruber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got the, sort or, of the same uh, haircut. Who, yeah. Who else was it? Well, kind of uh, Red Oaks is Barry. Yeah, I, I yes, started. He is. I started kind of a li- in the in the slower moments of the movie. I just started aligning the different <laughs> actors with. Uh, people from Red Oak. He doesn't really but, um, get much comedy, though. I mean, he's not, no. uh, you know, he's, slightly. He's much harsher. Yeah, he's, he's much, really just yeah. kind of like a not a good guy uh, at all. No. But that said, yeah, I, I he, like that actor. He's cool. He's The character is kind of there just to give her a reason to, like, go for Rob. Mm-hmm. Like, as a woman in a 1985 sex comedy, you have to choose a man. So she's not going to go for that jerk. Yeah. So it's got to be Rob, I guess. Um, and that's fine. Now, here's the question I have for you, though. Do either of these guys ever actually get laid? In the movie, I'm not positive. I feel like they don't. I- I'm not sure they did either. I-, I think it could be implied that Johnny Depp did. Although, again, like right. he goes missing for so long in that last act. like. Yeah. And then, a lot of you stuff know, going on. you do get that montage with Rob Morrow and Patty um, where they're out on the beach and all this stuff. And, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah Jesus. Uh, I was not a fan of that. Hey, at least you get the montage. Yeah. Uh, you kind of buy their feelings for each other a little bit more. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's also it's just one of these things where you were talking about like the editing. There were moments where I'm like, has it has 
have three days passed? Have has one day passed? I don't know. Like, did the, I think there was a night time at one point, but I can't remember. I had no I idea. Bet if you wa- yeah. I bet if you watch it for it, I bet there's like five or six. I days think you're probably movie. right. Yeah. yeah. I wish I'd thought to look at. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah, but I do think uh, Rob Morrow and his lady, if I'm not mistaken, don't they get the freeze frame at the end? Uh, and then they they go to they actually do the whole like oh here's the actor, they show the people and then their credit and then oh, freeze yeah. on that and stuff. But I think they maybe I don't know. There are multiple freeze frames at the end of this movie. <laughs> Continuing well, our you, had, you had to pad that time out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 81 minutes. That's that's pretty close there. Um, what else to say about Private Resort? Uh, one thing that I do believe could have called this, caused this whole house of cards to crumble, but would have been a much more logical decision, was if Rob Morrow had just claimed to be housekeeping instead of the barber when Hector Elizondo came into the room. Yeah, because absolutely, I feel like that would that just would have been acceptable, and he could have left. Yes, yes. I mean, obviously, it would not have set up a set piece, let alone the rest of the movie. Seem, yeah, yeah. Much like jumping in bed with the woman, which is exactly the one thing you don't want the husband to see sure. ever. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it just seems like the exact wrong thing to do is say, "Yes, I'm the barber." Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um. And then the next most, and then I really started thinking about it, which is ridiculous, but I really started thinking, so so if I was the barber, if I was the guy who said he was the barber here, and I got to fake my way through this, I'm probably just going to like, I'll make a bunch of clippy noises behind him. I'm not actually touching your hair at all. And I'll be like, I'm done. Oh man, look at that. Because he even says, I want a haircut that doesn't look like I had a haircut. Exactly. I want it to look just like this. They set it up so easy. Yeah, I thought that's what was going to happen. Yeah. He was just going to pretend to cut his hair for like a while. Yep. And the guy was going to be like, this looks great. But yeah, nope. what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I mean, we don't know anything about Rob Morrow. So again, he could be a serial rapist. Um, and yep. he could just, you know, really be into pretending to be barbers and screwing up haircuts. I don't know. Man, man. It's, a, it's really, it's a much darker movie than I think people give it credit for. Uh, yeah, and for. it's really open to interpretation. Very, very open. I think there's little else to say about ye old private resort, Craig. It's it doesn't really reward deep thought. Nope. But um, it's still not the worst way to spend ninety minutes. Not the worst way. Uh, looks like IMDb people are saying five point two stars out of ten for whatever that means. I you know I might. Right. A little lower, but I do yeah. think this is one of those movies that you can have fun with, uh, you yeah. know. And it's it's kind of worth seeing because of the flaws in a weird way, yeah. you know. Um, and obviously, the it's it is fun to see Johnny Depp uh, in something like this, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. God, I mean, you remember how much he changed after? I mean, like after Twenty One oh, Jump yeah. Street, it was just like he was just a different person, you know. It was yeah. like suddenly so serious and this like brooding teen idol guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just not at all on display in this movie. Thank God. No, no, no. It's absolutely true. Uh, yeah, because what? Yeah, I guess he was in Nightmare on Elm Street before this. Mm-hmm. And then, and then this was the next year. And then he's yeah, in it's, Platoon it's not long after that, which Platoon, is crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's really, it's, it is really crazy, especially him. Because I feel like Rob Morrow's charisma is totally there. 
And I feel like Johnny Depp's is almost not at all there. No. Like, and again, he said he didn't consider himself to be an actor. So right. Like, and it, like he kind yeah, of, he, he not, does in some way play the sort of Anthony Michael Hall role in this movie. Yeah. Uh, he's sort of like the alpha male of, of the two dudes. Right. And I, I believed him as a loser in a, in a way, sure. you know? I mean, I think obviously they're aware that the guy is good looking enough that he can pull, you know, a girl like Dana and mm-hmm. there's some interest there from others. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's kind of walking in as if it's like a super bad situation. And that's yeah. would certainly seem a stretch <laughs> yeah. today uh, with that guy. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it was believable enough to me. It was. Uh, Craig. If you want to watch this movie again, and I know you do, mm-hmm. it is definitely online, streaming all over the place uh, for rent. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's available for a subscription. Too bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weird Science is, is surprisingly harder to find unless you want to pony up some money, but uh, Showtime has it for free on, on their service, and you can, I did a seven-day free trial on that and watched it. So that's out there. I would absolutely love for someone to tell me if they've seen private lessons and private school and what those two movies are like, because again, it does not seem like there's any connection between the three of these movies whatsoever, no. other than the fact they have private in the title. It was the same producer. Yeah. And, I think uh, that's it. yeah. So, you know, I don't know, maybe in a perfect world, if you watch this and we're wondering, Oh, these two guys, who who are they? Where are they from? How old are they? Oh, it was explained in the previous two movies. Maybe that would have made sense, but that doesn't appear to be the case either. Uh, I wonder if they did the same thing in private lessons in private school. I don't think so. I don't but, think so. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think this one is, is pretty easy to tell why Weird Science uh, landed where it did on the charts mm-hmm. and Private Resort kind of happened where it did, although maybe... That's not fair when we watch some of those other movies that were way down there uh, in the $300,000 grossing range. Uh, we may think, wow, you know, Private Resort was at least fun. Uh, I don't right. know. I don't know. We'll see. But, um, yeah, go go rewatch Weird Science again. It's it's a good time. Indeed. Agreed. And uh, let's see. Do we know what we're doing next time? I don't think we do, do we? Not yet. Not exactly. Oh, so man. It'll be a surprise oh, to yeah. you and to us. Yeah, all the more reason to listen to the next episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Come say hello online, and uh, we'll talk to you then. 